scripture reading this morning is once again in the 119th Psalm. If you'd like to read along with us, it's in the book of Psalms, number 119. We'll be reading verse 121 through 128. Psalms number 119, beginning at verse 121. I have done judgment and justice. Lead me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Now, normally, but today's subject that I'll be preaching on and it just amazes me what God does. It, it, it truly is wonderful. Our Lord's name truly is wonderful. It amazes me how he brings things together like this in a way that I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't read this part of the Psalms today. I didn't read it at any time during this week. I just knew that that 121 would be the verse we're going to start at. And as I read this Psalm right now, I want to point something out to you. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Do you see the contrast in God's word there? you see that contrast? We're going to be looking at that a little bit deeper when I bring you to the message. So keep that in mind if you would. I'd like to ask you if you would this morning, turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It is claimed by those who are outside of this church and other bodies that I know of. It is claimed that the ministers of God, those that you and I both know, Clay Curtis, one who will be here next week, Kevin Thacker, Don Fortner, Henry Mahan, Gene Harmon. And I can go on and list, list a whole bunch more. You know that. You know who they are. Oh, you guys, you, you, you people, you people who think you are the only ones, they call us the frozen chosen. That makes them feel good to say that. You think you're the only ones who know the Lord, you know, you're the only ones who preach the truth, that no, there's no other churches out there. Well, I just mentioned off several preachers, so you know I'm not standing here before you declaring that this is the only place, right? Did that make common sense? But yet, for some reason, folks outside of the church, of this church here to rescue will think, that's the only, you know, this is the only place that I declare the truth of God being preached. That's 
That's just, I don't know why they think that, but they do. They say that ministers of the true gospel, myself included, we harp. Or in other words, we spend too much time emphasizing. You know, there's so much more deeper in God's word that you can go into. And I've shared this with you. This is not the same person, but somebody once said that, John, all you do is flail around on top of the water. You don't dive deep into God's word. That was such a blessing, brother. Mike Lovelace came up to me after that message, and he said, John, if that's what it is to flail on top, you just keep it up. That's right. Bless my heart to know God was blessing his. That we spend too much time talking on the subject of God's sovereignty. We spend too much time pointing out the shortcomings of the religious world. Or at least that's how they see it. All you ever do is say this church does that. That church does this. And, and, and this and that and that and this. You, you think you're so arrogant. You know, that's why people hated Don Fortner. Because he was bold in declaring the truth of God's word. That's why people hated Gene Harmon. And I know those that do. Because he was bold in declaring the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is not just who God is, but is why we don't deserve to be with him. Why we are not out in the world trying to, trying to appease our guilty consciences. Because that's what the world is doing. They come up with all kinds of imagination, imaginary religions. And don't think Christian, Christian churches don't do the same thing because they do. I heard somebody say that Catholics were Christians. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Spend way too much time pointing out the shortcomings of other religions. We point out the deceitfulness of man's religions. The contrast between the truths of God's word and unregenerate religions. There is some truth in what they say that we point our fingers at all these other places, all these other religions. There is some truth to that. We do. You see, there is a line between works and grace, isn't there? A line that the great deceiver who has been allowed to obscure, a line that the great majority of the people who walk this earth will be on the wrong side of. Great is the path to destruction, narrow, narrow. This is God's word, not mine. Narrow. Narrow is the line, is the road to the Lord. A great majority of people who walk this earth claiming to be righteous in their own works shall go through that door marked death and be destroyed. And as you and I, who were once blind to the truths of God's word, 
We see that it is only by His grace. We see that we are not right, that we have no right to be there. <coughs> we see by His grace. I don't know what I wrote there. We see that by His grace we deserve to be right there with that great throng of people who will die the eternal death. Here in Thessalonians chapter 2, God the Holy Ghost inspired His preacher to point out two completely different points. You ask, John, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that too about this place of rescue. I've heard that too. My family says the same thing. If it's good in God's word, should I not stand before you and declare it? Look with me at verses 1 through 4 of 2 Thessalonians. Did I say 2 Thessalonians? Chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering unto Him. I beseech you. This is Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit to declare unto the, the Thessalonians, to declare unto them, I beseech, listen up, hear what God's Word has to say. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter. As from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, that day of our Lord's returning, shall not come, except there come a falling away. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of the perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself. That's God's word, folks. That's our Lord telling us right there that there's a people who are going to raise themselves up. Man, who's going to raise themselves up above God. Let's go on. Shall we who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's the Lord's Word. You read it with me, didn't you? This is what the Lord is saying. This is what preachers of God's truth, men who were sent of God to preach the truth, stand up and say, there's some people going to hell who think they know God. And we could be right there with them. If it wasn't for the mercy and grace of my Lord and Savior, I'd be right there swinging the bat with them. Oh yeah! Look how good I am! Look at all the good works that I do! Paul is warning you, he's warning me, there will be a falling away from the truths of God's Word. The return of our great Savior will not come until the son of perdition has manifested himself with the wicked heart, and it is revealed. These ones who uphold this and exalted themselves of all, 
above all that is God or that is worship, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself to be God, declare the free will of mankind. That's exactly what that is. Free willism. It's to say it's not God's decision, it's mine. That's not what scripture says. It is not of him that willeth. It's not of him that runneth. If you think it's something that you're doing and, and, and the way you're walking, I'm going to church every Sunday. i got to be saved. They say, in essence, that salvation is up to you, that you must decide. They make your decision above the blood of Christ, above the will of God. Look at verse 5 with me, if you would. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul was not bashful. He's not bashful to remind us. I'm not bashful to remind you it is not of you, but of God. But of God that showeth mercy. Salvation is not of man's works. Listen to the words of Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Did it say, for by your works? Did it say for by you making a decision? Did it say anything for by if you get baptized? No, it says for by grace and grace alone are you saved through faith, through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth in me, that means believing in who he is. That means believing that he's done it all. It means believing that when he was on that cross, he said it is finished, it is finished. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The religions of man declare salvation is of something you must do. They say you must get baptized, worship on a Saturday, say a prayer, come down to the front. Make a decision, won't you? Let Jesus in your heart. Isn't that what they say? Have you not heard that? I have. I tell you this morning that as one who is who by grace, by God's grace, by his love for me. By his grace, I have been given life to see the glory of my Savior. Not the glory of John. The glory of my Savior. My Lord is a jealous Lord. And he will not share his glory with another. He will not. My Savior, he took that old black heart, that old black heart that would have never turned to him, and he turned it to flesh of his own. In the day of his love, he made me willing, just as he does each and every one of his children. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1, if you would. I would have walked the path of destruction just as others do, just as it is declared in verses 6 through 12. Let me read that for you while you're turning over to Colossians. And now ye know 
What withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time for the mystery of iniquity doeth work, doth already work. Only he who now fleteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed from the word from the Lord, and shall be consumed with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceive, deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion. This is God's word, folks. This isn't John's opinion. This isn't the opinion of a minister standing before some group of people. This is the word of God. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. As children of light, we give our Lord all the glory, every speck of it. I most definitely, God help me to always, always get up here as long as anyone will let me and harp. Harp on the sovereignty of my Lord. Help me to be bold to stand before guests who come to visit us for the first time to declare my Lord is Lord. Not some wannabe. Not some might. Not some maybe, but he is Lord of everything, including my spirit and my will. As children of light, we give our Lord all the glory, every speck of it. I love these verses that we're going to look at here in Colossians. These are, so, these are just so wonderful. Begin with me, if you would, at verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet. Now listen again. Giving thanks unto the Father. God the Father, this one who rules over everything. This sovereign one who didn't leave us to ourselves, but came to us in the day of his love, which hath made us meet. He's the one who made us. That means, that means fit, meet, fit. Did you know, Roger, you're fit to be with the Lord? Not by anything you've done. Amen. Christ Jesus our Savior, huh? God, the Father, thank you, Lord, for making us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light. Isn't that what God's Word says? See the contrast between what we read a moment ago about those who have raised themselves up to be above God? How did they raise themselves up? By saying they have the power over God. Whereas in the difference here, we give thanks to the Father who has all power in heaven and earth. Which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Notice who it is that makes us blessed of God. Rather than glory in something that we have made, that we have done, we glory in Him. Look at verse 13. Who hath delivered us, this very one who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints, He had delivered us from the power of darkness. I'm going to say it again. We who were once blind, we see that darkness now, don't we? 
Oh, we didn't see it before. What? Because we were blind. <laughs> we were talking about the name wonderful. The Lord's name is wonderful. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. No, the 9, verse 6. We are talking about that. What are the wonderful things that our Lord did when he walked this earth? He gave the blind sight. He healed the sick. Oh, the wonderful things our Lord has done for you and I. The very one who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We glory in his works. This is the good work that he began in us, spoken of over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He's, that's his works. Did you know that you and I, coming here this morning, is the work of Christ? Did you get up this morning thinking, oh, I'm just going to go to church today? I think I'll just go down there and hang out with the people. They're good people to hang out with. Remember a time when the Lord didn't bring you to the church? I do. Running about doing everything John wanted to do. Aren't you thankful the Lord brought us to church to hear his word, to hear his truth? We are his workmanship. The people of God were chosen from the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, chosen to be translated into his kingdom, his kingdom made pure by your decision? No, no, pure by his works. Verse 14, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom? This very one, his dear son, the one that we have been translated into, the one who translated us into his kingdom of his dear son, in whom? His son, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Where's the glory going there, folks? <laughs> it's going to him, isn't it? Not only has he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, he's provided redemption through his own blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Folks, I never get tired of this. My sins are washed away. I stand in the righteousness of my substitute. He who knew no sin, he who never sinned, was made to be my sin. I know of at least four times where I had to stop and think to myself this morning after I got up, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my doubt. I struggle, folks. I struggle deeply. I struggle with my own sin just as everyone here does. And this one, this one who has loved me from before the world was, redeemed, redeemed me through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. My sins are washed away. I stand in his righteousness. 
Think about this for a minute, will you? Some of you have children, right? I don't know what this is like outside of what Christ has told us in his word, but could you imagine a father that you love turning his back on you? I pray none of you have had to experience that. But if you have, you understand a slight little bit about God the Father turning his back on his son. Turning away from him. Can't even look upon him. He turned his back on his son because God the Father cannot look upon sin. And my Lord took my sins as his own. My Lord who sinned not, not once, not even a thought. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. He sacrificed himself for my sin and for yours, if you belong to him. That's what it means when the Lord says, by grace are you saved. I'm saved because of who he is. Verses 15 through 22. This is who he is, folks. This is the one who redeemed us through his blood. This is why you and I have assurance. Our assurance is not in us. We have no confidence in this flesh. Our assurance is in our Savior. And this is why, verse 15, who, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. This is why our Lord can say to us, I gave you my only begotten Son. Why would you think I wouldn't give you everything else with it? <laughs> we're inheritance. It's not one like... Um, it's not, it's not an inheritance like you have here on earth, folks, you know. I've seen many a times where uh, even they've even made movies of it, haven't they, about somebody who got written out of the will? <laughs> if you're part of the inheritance of God, you are never going to be written out of the will. Everything, everything is ours. What have we got to worry about? All the stuff going on in the world, nothing can hurt help hurt us. Well, I mean, it can be painful. And I am a little bit fearful of that. But even if it's painful to me, I'm still not going to, it's not going to last long. <laughs> Lord will take me home. He'll take me home. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things. Isn't that what the word of God says right there? Is this John's interpretation of scriptures? No, it says all things were created by him and what? For him. And he is before all things. This is the sovereignty of our Lord. This is what I want to harp on every time I have a chance to speak. 
I want to talk to you about a God who deserves to be called God. The God that I heard about for the first time sitting over here in this pew. A God who deserves to be called God. One who truly is ruler over everything. Oh, I've heard men over all the years say, oh yeah, he rules all the specks of death. If you'll just let him come into your heart. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Verse 19, for please the Father, Father that in him, in the Son, the very one we just read about, the very one who laid down his life and redeemed his people, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you. Here comes the grace of God. Here comes the grace of our Lord. Here comes the contrast between the one religious of the world and the true religion of God's truth in Scripture. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in, the, in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and reprovable in his sight. Sometime go read the Song of Solomon. Chapter 4. We read it Friday night. That's the way the Lord sees you and I. Hair. Beautiful hair. Beautiful eyes. Perfect lips. Everything about us is perfect, as perfect as His Son. I know we see Gomer, don't we? We look in the mirror and we see Gomer. You know who Gomer is? Gomer is Hosea's wife. He was told to go and marry a harlot. Go and, go and marry a woman of whoredom, a prostitute. That's a picture of our Savior. He's married to us. You know, we're the bride of Christ. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now I want to look at Galatians chapter 6 for just a moment. The Apostle Paul strongly rebuked the people who turned aside from the gospel of Christ. And he declared that those that do have other motives, they have other reasons, they have other objections that the, than the glory of God and for your good. Are you in Galatians chapter 6? Read verse 12 with me, will you? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. The Galatians had been worshiping the Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And there are some who have come into the church and said, No, wait a minute. You can do that, but you've also got to be circumcised according to the law.
Isn't that what they're doing today? Isn't that what the churches of the world are doing today? You can, you can worship Jesus, but you got to do this. Brother Mike Lovelace would be happy to share something with you that they were telling him in the book of Seventh Day, or the, whatever they call it, Seventh Day Adventist, right? Yeah. Oh, the works that he had, they had him doing. Whoo! They had no idea what grace is all about. They were blind to the truths of God's word as you and I were once when we when, before the Lord called us out of darkness. And as many desire to make a fair show in the flesh, that's what they wanted. They wanted to show the world, see how good we are. Look at all the good works we do. We, we feed the poor once a year, Thanksgiving Day. Apostle Paul strongly rebukes this people who turned aside from God's gospel, the gospel of Christ, and he declared that those that do have other motives. They have other reasons. They have other objections to the glory of God and for your good. These are the these are they that are in the ministry for something else besides the glory of God. They're in the ministry for something else before, but for your good. It causes them to turn from the gospel. Their desires to make themselves look better in the flesh, to bring themselves up. It causes them to preach other things. Look at verse 12 of Galatians chapter 6. We just did. Notice that he first says, he says, they desire to make a fair show in the flesh. They desire to be successful in the flesh. You know what success is in the Christian church today? Look at all the people we have in the pews. I look around, I see just a few. Our God says that there's only a remnant, a remnant in Israel. I see a remnant. I see people who come here every Sunday to hear this. Our Lord reigns. Our Lord is God. And He's merciful to me. That's what I want to hear. These ministers are in it for something else. They're not in it for the glory of God. They desire their desires to be successful in the flesh. They desire to impress people. Why would a man turn from true gospel. Why would, why would a man hear the truth and then, I don't want to have that. I'd, I'd rather go do something else. Why would a man turn from the substitutionary death of Christ? Why would a man turn from the greater glory of God to preach something else? Well, Paul said this. He, says, he said, I'll tell you why. Because they desire to make a fair show in the flesh. These guys who stand up on TV who have millions and millions of dollars, five jets to take them wherever they want in the world. Lance Heller once sat for a whole hour listening to uh, Joel Osteen, 
do an interview, and not once in that entire hour did he say what Christ did for him. Everything he said in that entire hour. Joel Osteen had millions of people watching that interview. And he didn't mention Christ once. Do I condemn that man for what he preaches? Absolutely. Do I condemn him personally? May God have mercy on his soul, as he did me. May God call him out of the darkness that he walks in, as he did me. They desire to build impressive followings. Oh, I've got a thousand people twice on Sunday. And they want to impress other people with their impressiveness. Our Lord Jesus said this, they seek the honor that comes from men and not the honor that comes from God. There is absolutely no reason, no reason for a preacher or a church to count people. I fell into that once. I wondered to myself, many years back, Bill and I were talking, is the Lord drying up rescue? All we have are old folks. No offense, Mike. <laughs> All we have is old folks. Where are the young people, Lord? Is it, is it drying up here? Is the Lord done with us in rescue? And then he brings in a young couple from Tahoe. Oh, or he brings in this young man who spent some time working for him, serving his country. Oh, folks, our Lord's not done yet. The sun come up this morning. When he's done, the sun won't come up anymore. When he's done calling all of his children out of darkness, it's over. We're all going to heaven that belong to him. And the contrast to that is all those who believed the lie and went through that door marked death. There'll be gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth. Again in verse 12, Paul says this, and they constrain you to be circumcised. They constrain you to be circumcised, to be baptized, or to come forward, to sign up, or to make some kind of physical commitment. Right, Mike? It's exactly what they did. And when he says, I'm not doing this anymore because it's wrong, they came after him and knocked on his door and threatened him and told him he was being chastised and, and, and converted by the devil. Folks, coming to Christ is not a physical move. Coming to Christ is a heart work. Coming to Christ is not coming to the front of the church. Coming to Christ is a personal, individual, heart committal to Jesus Christ himself. It's the desire in your heart to know more of him. It's the desire that he puts in your heart to know more of his grace. To learn more, to grow in the grace of our Savior and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not your grace, his grace. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10. He says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus to be Lord and believe in thine heart. That's what the word says. In thine heart. 
that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what God's word says. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Our Lord said this, he said, My son, give me your heart, keep thy heart with all diligence. Out of it are all the issues of life. In other words, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a broken spirit. Our Lord said this, The Lord is nigh unto them of a broken heart. Coming to Christ is not a fleshly move, it is a spiritual commitment to Christ Jesus of the heart. Why do you want to go to church today, John? Because I love my Lord and my heart says I need to be there. But let's not forget this, shall we? Oh, I'm going to go long. All right, let me bring this out on this and then we'll go to, we'll go, I'll try to jump forward some. Like Cain of old, Let's not forget this, like Cain of old, the natural man wants something to do, don't they? What must I do to be saved? Don't tell me you don't ask that question of yourself at times because that's the nature of our flesh. That's what God says is in every one of us. What must I do to be saved? You know, trusting Jesus, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? You know what the offense of the cross is? What is the offense about the cross of Christ that so many say, I shall not follow that man? The offense of the cross addresses that all men are sinners. That's what made the, that's what made the, the leaders of Israel all angry. What do you mean telling me I'm a sinner? I follow all the ordinances that my religion tells me to. Paul thought something pretty big of himself, didn't he, until the Lord took his feet out from underneath him on that road. It declares that salvation is a free gift, and that offends men's pride. It presents full and complete and effectual atonement through Christ, and that's a direct opposition against man's efforts to save himself. This gospel of substitution of the cross comes by revelation, not by reasoning, and this offends man's wisdom. That's what the offense of the cross is. The cross takes everything away from you, and it puts it all in Christ's hands. These men who try to talk people into getting circumcised, these very ones that is talked about in the Old Testament, these very ones that I'm, I, I and other ministers of the true gospel declare they want you to get circumcised. They want to preach to you laws and rules and regulations. And as it says there in verse 13, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. They don't even do it themselves. They want to keep every law in you, the laws that they cannot keep in themselves. Now look at verse 14, and I'll bring this to a close. Look at verse 14. This is my title for today. The glory of his cross. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What Paul is saying here that I glory in our Lord's cross. 
I preach His cross. Paul is referring to all that Jesus Christ did in the redemption of His people. The cross on Calvary is but a, a top stone to God's building. Everything that God did leading to the cross and everything that God did leading from the cross has been fulfilled and completed in His cross. That's the cross that we're talking about. Not that piece of wood over in Israel, but the cross of Jesus. The glory of His cross. All the way through the Old Testament, those pictures and promises and prophecies point to His cross, His grace, His love for His people. Folks, there's a difference. The question is, what do you glory in? A question that you must ask yourself. If you belong to Christ, I can tell you this. That if He died and shed His blood for you, you will glory in Him. You will glory in His cross. Does that mean you're going to stand up at some point and say, You know, look what I did. I hit that golf ball right down the middle of the fairway. Did you see that? Woo! That's not what I'm talking about. talking about my Savior gave me the privilege to hit that golf ball off in the weeds so that I wouldn't take that game and put it above what my Savior is. You will glory in His cross if you belong to Him. It says in Scripture, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Does it, is that not what it says? All? All that the Father giveth me, he says? Maybe? Might? No. Shall come to me. You will glory in his cross, for there is only, for there is the only salvation for his elect. We glory in His sovereign rule in all it is. We glory in Him giving life to souls that were dead in trespasses and sin. We glory in the precious, perfect blood that was shed on that cross, satisfying the justice of God for us. We glory in His resurrection from that cross, revealing the acceptance of God and His Son in what He did and putting away our sins forever and ever, never to be seen again. We glory in the throne of His glory. In other words, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we raise our Savior up before all. Why are you? Why do you have so much hope? Why? Why is your hope? Where is your hope at that, that gives you such a wonderful sight? even though we see all the stuff that goes on in the world around us. Where's your hope? Where are you getting it from? Where's it coming from? My Lord. Knowing that it's right by Him. It's by His purpose. We glory in His throne. Just as Moses lifted up the silver serpent in the wilderness, we raise our Savior up to the world to look to Him. To look to Him on His throne of mercy. To look to Him on His throne of grace. Isn't that what we read in 1 Corinthians? Chapter 1, verse 29 and 31. That no flesh should glory in His presence. 
that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen.